What's up out there? I'm John. This is Johnny, and we're not what, going what, to do this. Apparently, let's <laughs> <laughs> talk about that. Yeah, it is. The, it's a huge episode. It's episode number twenty-five. That's our. What is that? The silver anniversary. This That's is the 50. silver anniversary episode. What did you get me? Um, I got you to get up early after you just traveled all day. Yeah, thank you for yeah, that. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. It's 9.30 a.m. That's not really. This is not really your speed. Like, no. You have to get up all the time to travel, but. Yeah, but I can just phone it in. <laughs> right. Here, I don't have to speak into a microphone usually till late at night. And say important things. Like Yesterday I spoke here. into a microphone at 1 p.m. at a 10 a.m. sound check in uh, Honeybrook, Pennsylvania at oh. a retirement village. Nice. Wow. So I'm on fire over here. Wow. This thing's taken off. It was actually really fun. It's not like, I was wondering if it was going to be like a nursing home, because I've done a couple of those, whereas like, uh, you know, old folks that are kind of like sick uh, and they, you know, they're just, they're they're not listening or they just kind of wheel people in and they're just like, well, that's your audience and you just have to get through it. This was like old rich people who live in an amazing place so it was like assisted living type. yeah no, they're literally like... spending their children and their grandchildren's inheritance <laughs> that's awesome to live in this amazing place in the woods in pennsylvania this huge like village of people and so it's like this really nice theater and banquet hall hey and speaking of spending other people's money yeah uh i'd like to invite our special guest today oh. whose money i spend <laughs> she's not always on because she has a real job among our family but my lovely wife laura is our special 25th yeah, beautiful episode guest hello a smattering of applause from the two of us nice hey thank you for being here babe hey taking time out of your busy schedule to grace us with your wisdom and your beauty. That's what I do. Inside and out, Johnny. <laughs> yeah, it is a uh, actually you know, I, I'm excited. I'm excited to say too that uh let this month of so we're recording this on the last day of May. It probably won't get posted till June, but in May was our largest downloaded month. I've talked about that. That's great. Yeah, we're we, building we are. We it's are. It's like a snowball effect. Are we, you sure it wasn't just me over and over again? Yeah, does it count multiple? <laughs> That's a good question. Refresh, refresh, refresh. People do that with YouTube videos, I think. You could yeah. do it. You could get away with it for a while. Yeah. You could just click all that on your own video. Actually, I only listened to you once. I can't stand it more than that. Oh, <laughs> Nice. Now, for, for, tr- for real, though, in truth, you actually like our podcast, right? I do. I'm addicted. And you're a podcast junkie. I am. It's crazy. I never listened until you started one, and now I'm like 15 a week. She really is. It's crazy. Like, I'll be – she has – we're those people. Like, we have the Bluetooth headsets that wrap around your neck, you know? And so all the time, she'll be in the kitchen doing something. Not listening to people. I won't know. I'll walk in and start talking, and she'll turn because she has one ear in that's turned away from me. Like, what? Oh, sorry. Hold on. And she's – it's a podcast. Yeah, Curry does that. She listens to the true crime podcasts mm-hmm. and I then books lost about my murder life over yeah. one of the true crime podcasts yeah. i became obsessed with up and vanished okay and i don't think i did anything like didn't shower she didn't, didn't talk eat. to me for a like while. i had my headset in but, constantly but it's so interesting with those podcasts it's like people get on the case you know <laughs> like we're gonna solve this this <laughs> right. cop did not do enough it's clear there's evidence they're listening to someone else and they're like we're going to figure this out. <laughs> it's just so funny. I and mean, I guess some of these cases have been moved further down the road well, by, this by bloggers had, and podcasters. Like it was kind of a dead cold case. And this guy got interested. He started this podcast. It gained this big national following, national exposure. And I don't know, something like a decade after the yeah. case went cold, they made arrest because yeah. I guess the pressure just got to people and, you know, it's a small town. So anyway, it was fascinating, but I literally lost like two Curry. months of my life. Well, wow. at Curry, she puts this stuff in her head while she's sleeping. Mm. And then I'll be like, like when you get older, this is true. You mean she listens and falls asleep to Yeah, you? but Judd Apatow has a, a joke about this because he just did a stand-up special. He talked about how when, you get to, when you're get when you an older couple, a middle-aged couple like we are, you play the game every day of who slept worse. <laughs> and it becomes like a contest because if I ever say to my wife, if I ever say to my wife, how'd you sleep? Not once has she ever said, oh, I'm like an angel. <laughs> It's always like, oh, I was up and down, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you put murder in your head every night. We go to, we, she watches something on TV. 
you know, uh, whatever forensic files were like murder, like the voiceover guy. You know? <laughs> and then murder in her head. All she was like, no wonder. Sleep. Yeah, I don't do that. Yeah, I don't. That's see, that she's a true junkie. We put Netflix shows in her head before we go to sleep. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I, I, I but don't. But intentionally don't watch dark stuff. No, before. I can't do. I, I don't do that anyway. It's interesting that we call it like being a junkie and we say we binge watched things. Like Isn't all these it? weird, yeah, we unhealthy these. things. Like we, bin- you can't say binge. Binge used to be. People that overate. Yeah. And then now it's like, you. if you said binge, now people would not understand that necessarily. Because yeah. it's like, True. like, for instance, I binge watched a pie the other day, <laughs> like an entire pie. I watched it go in I my mouth. I downloaded it into eight <laughs> sections. Uh, yeah. And then I binged it. And then uh, it made, it upset my stomach. Later I streamed it. That's that's gross. I'm sorry. That's terrible. <laughs> that's oh, yuck. <laughs> I always start right now because I still have the cough. I always start with a good voice, and then about halfway through, you've got my mucus moving again. So thank you, Tony. Oh, you're welcome. You you're sound fine. like the penguin on Toy Story. The other night, I was trying to breathe. We were laying there in bed, and every time I breathe, <laughs> like it wouldn't whistle. stop. Something had gotten in there. What's the penguin's name? Wheezy. Is it? Okay. Yeah. Wheezy from Toy Story. Yeah. I have I have the aging prospector laugh wheeze since I'm 14. I've had asthma my whole life, so nice. I always have a good wheeze working. If I laugh hard, it's it's going to be a wheeze. It's you know, good. wheezy could have been my other dwarf name last <laughs> night. On so, so we had a block party for all of our gatherings. So we had a thing on the Wednesdays called the gathering where people gather in groups. Uh, and we do community and share things. And so sometimes we just have like a big party. So we had a big everybody together party. And we played two games. One's Farkle which is a dice game. And our whole point of the night was to establish a loser. So we want each table to find a loser. And so we had a time. We talked about it. Sounds very Christian, by the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was like a block party. <laughs> One of you will betray me. It it's very, it's all for fun, you know, so, but it's, it's team building type stuff. And so the, but we said, so I got up there. It's like, okay, so all of you just established a loser. And how many of you losers, I want you to raise your hand, how many mm-hmm. people at your, at your table actually dogged you and people raise their hand and say, well, here's the deal. You know what the Bible says? Those who are last shall be first. Mm. So actually those of you who lost are actually now your table's representative to play an epic game of Quiplash. So Quiplash is – it's a jackbox.tv game. So we had on the screen – it's all these these questions where yeah. – you know, uh, what was one of the example questions, honey? Cause I, I last to, night was uh, name – an eighth dwarf that got in at the last second. Right. So, right in your goal scope with like a funny. Right. right. So thing. you're voting on the funniest one where the whole crowd can play as long as you have a smartphone. So we had 75 people playing last night all in the same game, but eight actual contestants, yeah. you know. It was great. Well, Laura, I, so I was the loser from our table, uh, but I was kind of emceeing so I, from Farkle, so I didn't want to do it. So Laura took my place, and dude, she killed it. Like she yeah. had some funny. Funny things that last night. people didn't get. One, I mean, okay, I have to confess, I didn't get one. So give the question. So yeah. the question was, name a game you play at the worst summer camp ever. Okay. So my answer was nitpicking. Mm-hmm. And the other, the other person's was like, bobbing for snakes. Yeah. yeah. Like that. So I... And all like this is one of the reasons I love my wife. So afterwards, she was like, "Guys, you know that was really funny." And I was like, "I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. Why is that so funny?" And so then she goes on to tell me that a knit uh, is an egg sack of lice, which I'm sure you already knew that. No. Okay, so I've always know. heard him call sacks and lice because we used to do lice check at the right. camps and all those things. But no one ever called it. It was a nurse. So all the nurses in the room were like, <laughs> bravo, like they were just loving it. Right. So nitpicking was lice check. I just think of nitpicking like picking on somebody. Right, like being, but that's why it was yeah. funny because you always do a lice check at camps, so yeah. the game was nitpicking. So you after, gave an overly medical answer. But yeah. after further review, looking at the etymology of the term nitpicking, mm-hmm. guess where it came from? No, no, no. Check for lice it's exactly how right. so we literally don't know the the because it's like uh apes but monkeys and things you know they sit and they eat the eggs off of their yeah. kids and so they That's like nitpick and it's nitpicking i remember one time a famous comedian said to me if you have to explain the joke it's not funny well again, and i said i said what do you mean i just assumed 
wrongly, obviously, <laughs> that everyone knew that when you check for lice, you're checking right. for nits. But apparently that's not a thing that most people know. But I fell in love with her all over again, Johnny. Did you? Because whenever she uses words that I don't – because words are important to me, as you yeah. know. I don't always use them goodly, but mm-hmm. I really – they're important to me. So when she when – she, Uses a word I don't know, then I'm just like, wow, I want to be challenged. This is great. So nitpicking, now I, but the thing was, she was right. Like, that's yeah. where the word came from. Johnny, we're, we've been living our lives wrong all these years, know. thinking nitpicking is just a thing you pick on somebody. Well, and <laughs> because it was a summer camp, and what's the first thing you do when you show up to camp? Everybody right. goes to the nurse's station and gets checked for lice. I mean, she's still so explaining anyway. the joke. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Well, like, I have jokes in my show like that, though, that are like, I love them because I feel like they're smart. And they work about half the time, and so I keep doing them because I don't care. <laughs> like, I have one that I say I don't speak Latin per se. Right, which is hilarious. But, like, a lot of people don't get that joke. They don't know per se. And I don't know. There's one that's, like, a real complicated wordplay joke that I do, like, 10% of the time. And I only if a crowd's really with me, and I have to remember it now because it'll confuse me trying to tell it. But it's, if you yearly distribute handwritten copies of... Uh, a book on five-speed car repair. That's annual manual transmission of a manual transmission manual. Love it. <laughs> right. I would laugh I've at that. I've never heard you do that. Yeah. And uh, people don't laugh. <laughs> it's really smart, and it's not that funny. Uh, but it's all right. Johnny, I think you I think <laughs> you just encapsulated me in a perfect phrase. <laughs> I mean, I've said for the really part. Just yeah. kind of smart and not really that funny. That's beautiful. That's that in your bio. It's your new Twitter bio now. That's your new Twitter bio. So we went to the lake uh, for Memorial Day weekend at Laura's parents' house, and we were out on the boat, and we have a three-year-old uh, nephew. And so we all stopped and dropped anchor yeah. and jumped out and we're swimming. Into a cove where it was calm and the kids could swim. Oh, that's cool. So we're all just kind of swimming and stuff. And of course he needs to go number two. Oh no. In the cove. <laughs> like it turned into an absolute, just hilarious debacle because yeah. we're trying to get him up to get back to the house. Of course, then he just goes in his britches right there. <laughs> oh, so dear. now my brother-in-law, Greg is like cleaning it out. And <laughs> Greg goes, Greg said, so his name's Carter. Greg said, who had a good time in the cove today? And he just, me, he raised his hand, you know, because he just pooped everywhere. But it reminded me of your joke. This is all came from. Wait a minute. I don't understand <laughs> this at all. You have a joke that I don't know if you use or not. Oh, I don't know. But you used to say it when we were like traveling and anytime we'd swim. And it was the funniest thing you'd ever say. You would oh, always say, do you remember? No. I love it. Like, <laughs> I may have just given you something gold back for your show. Oh, I don't know. It might not be my joke. It might be some joke that I was just like. <laughs> Hijacking it. Yeah. Yeah. We would take kids to the pool yeah. and talk about making sure to get out and go to the bathroom. Johnny go, look, guys, there's a big difference between peeing in the pool and peeing, and into, peeing the, into, into the pool. The pool. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just thinking about. Yeah, yeah. that's so, Dimitri Martin's joke. Is it really? <laughs> <laughs> this could be named Dimitri Martin. Yeah. Okay. You know, back then you didn't give him credit. You just, I think I did. You just don't remember I that think, part of it. Oh, I see. I was always an honorable person. I don't know, Johnny. I think John. you were hacking back then. I think that you, could built, be. you built your entire... I hack yeah. a lot. It's all right. Well, well, but that's cool. You guys got to be in the water on Memorial Day. We did well. So, you, as you know, when we started back in March, I sunburned my feet real bad. Remember that we had yeah. that whole thing. Well, this time, so I was not gonna let that happen again. No, ever. So I put on sunscreen and got, only on your feet. Well, my feet, my body. And then the kids wanted to go for jet ski rides, so I was taking them out for jet ski rides. And I thought, well, you know what? I'll get a little sun on my head. Mm-hmm. Now, for those of you who are listening, you can't do that. You may not know that I don't have a lot of hair anymore. I have some, but it's not a substantial amount. It's not enough per se to block the sun. Like you it's call not it a smattering of hair. Yes, I have a a loosely <laughs> like if if the number of hairs on my head would were to be counted, right? They wouldn't constitute like a mob. You wouldn't be scared of yeah. it. You know what I'm saying? It wouldn't be enough <laughs> yeah. to do anything. Like God knows the number, and he didn't even lose count once. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> right. It took him a lot less time to count than other yeah. people. So I may or may not, then the kids kept going, again, again. I took them out on a jet ski like all day, and I yeah. may or may not now, two months after burning my feet and swearing it off, burned my head. You could have just wore a hat, though. I you? had a hat. I took it off intentionally. That's the thing. That's, this is what this white is people so... do. And your hats white people have the myth. Well, white people have the myth of the base tan. It's not a myth. And a, it, it's a myth for people like us, John. Oh, yeah, it's true. That we're, are fair-skinned. We're pasty. It's like pale to burn and nothing in between. <laughs> and that's what you got. 
Well, the funny thing is when you burn your head with no hair that you don't want it to peel. Right, because you get flaky dandruffy stuff. A, and, you know, when I have a very public life, lots of important so meetups. Right. <laughs> you wear a hat – Ninety eight percent of the time. Correct. But except for the real job that I do on Sundays, which I'm under all these lights above. So it's yeah. just like this big like I am an extra stage light. You know, when you go you go to, to the photography studio, sure. they have that little white thing that reflects the light mm-hmm. to make more light in the room. That's my head yeah. on Sunday mornings. That's on your stage. side job. Yeah. And so I don't want it to peel if possible. So at night. Right before I go to sleep, you slather lotion. I'll slather lotion on my nearly bald head and lay down and hope that Laura doesn't notice. <laughs> so the other night, I slather lotion on my head, lay down, and Laura leans in to kiss me. Uh-huh. And I'm like, oh no. I said, look, I just want you to know, <laughs> don't touch my head. She goes, why? I said, because I have this lotion. And she goes on to tell me, that it's the lotion you <laughs> that my great grandmother used to no, use. Oh, so wow. my grandmother. So it's yeah. all scented and. So anyway, it just remi- I don't know. It was. So that's like she's kissing funny. grandmother. She was, like, she was kissing Mimal. <laughs> she. We laughed for at least ten minutes. Oh, and, it's yeah. really extra gross. It was like wow, this is marriage. It yeah. is. This is wonderful. And I, and that's when the wheeze started as well. Yeah. I couldn't. <laughs> so I was laughing and I smelled like an old lady. And my wife wants to kiss me. That's and Johnny, beautiful. it just was. It, That's marriage, man. It was a funny That's moment. That's the fun part, laughing together. Like when I, Curry gets to go on the road with me some now, and we'll have those moments where we'll be at some dumb breakfast buffet. We were at some dumb breakfast buffet <laughs> in a hotel, and they had the powdered eggs. Ugh. And, uh, you know, they were kind of watery. And Curry's like, these are gross. And I was like, yeah. She goes, how do they make powdered eggs anyway? And I said, well, when two powdered chickens love each other oh, very much. <laughs> <laughs> and it was funny to me, but not as funny as the annual manual transmission manual. I like that one. <laughs> That's really good. I'll put it back in. Well, hey, our daughter is in the building today. Mm. Uh, we so means the clock is for, ticking, right? Be prepared Leona, for well, loud she's out of school. And, That's what I'm saying. Though, it's like yeah. the clock is ticking before she'll want to walk in. She's going to need your attention. I'm wondering. She has a book, an iPad, and a roll of Saran wrap. All right. Look, oh, what else is there? Saran wrap. She did. Like in the roll? Is she in the she, saran wrap? She brought the whole box. Are kids into saran wrap mail? Our kid. <laughs> Go ahead. She likes making those. You know how like you play at Christmas the saran wrap balls that have the things inside of them? Yeah. Pass the saran wrap around and around. You right. try to unwrap really quickly to get the prizes. Okay. We've played that a couple times at different family activities and friend activities. So yesterday she made a saran wrap ball with notes inside that john and i had to complete a scavenger hunt upstairs oh. in the oh that's nice room. i like that yeah, yeah. you unravel it you get the next clue yeah. so that's what she's doing mm-hmm. but i mean she'll do knitting or crocheting or origami we're really into youtube videos of origami tutorials that's great and so yeah that's cool if like something that they're doing digitally turns into something they do physically yes that's always cool like i don't mind that if a kid's watching a video on how to make slime like kids are into slime my my niece don't even get me started on so my niece is so into slime but i'm like well she's doing something with her hands and she's she's learning how to make it i don't care i have slime stains on the speaker of my car where she spilled yellow slime Uh, they're obsessed with slime yeah Pastor Roy started making slime with the kids here on Wednesday so nights. What a funny thing to catch on with little girls. It's crazy. Last year, one of Sadie's friends, I asked her what she wanted for her birthday. All she wanted was stuff to make yep, slime. That's what money's so asked for. I went to the Dollar Tree and got like food coloring and baking soda and bleach. shaving cream. Oh, wait. No, not hey, bleach. Not right. There's all these different recipes. <laughs> Printed out recipes. My hands burn. Exactly. Printed out recipes, put it in a bag. She got gifts that were, you know, yeah. $50 gifts, really nice things. Yeah. What did they do? They took the bag of slime stuff, went over in a corner, and all the kids made slime for the Five rest of bucks, the birthday party. Beautiful. It's crazy. And it, it is cheap, but it is a mess to the house. Like, you'll get through cleaning the house, and you just because yeah. you're having guests coming over, and, and Sadie will start putting together a slime kit. Oh, you know, okay. and you're like, honey, you, you know, they don't understand why it might be intrusive to a space. Like, I get it, they're children. But yeah. even so, remember, was it last summer that she started making uh, puzzles? She would draw a puzzle, oh, cut yeah. it out, and make you put And then she started making board games. She'd make up her own board game. It's wow. actually pretty impressive. Like, here's what you do. You know, it's very, very rudimentary. Hmm. 
But, you know, then I would like add, okay, what if you did this? Because it doesn't have the, you know, getting to the winner. But Sadie's very inventive. and she yeah. want, But the deal is she has an expectation. She really, really wants it to work. And so if it doesn't work exactly as she envisioned, then, the, yeah. then she begins to come apart at the seams, which is exactly how I am, by the way. I want yeah. things to work a certain way. So yeah. she got that from me. But Yeah, the slime thing's fascinating to me. That, that I, But I, I, I'm, I have a soft spot for tomboys. Curry was a tomboy, my wife, and so, like... And a lot of my friends growing up were girls, you know, like even in, in middle school and high school. And they were like tomboys who would hang out and I would be in the friend zone. I was a very friend zone mm. kind of person. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I would be in love with said tomboy usually. Right. And then she'd be like, I like you because I can tell you everything. And I'd be like, yeah. Yeah, he came over again last night and all he wanted to do was make out. And I was like, I want to make out with you too. <laughs> but you won't let me. This just got weird. My kid's yeah. only nine. I can't deal. No, I don't mean that. I'm saying like when I was like 15, 14, 15. But I do. I, but I have a soft Did you spot. ever tell them? I like, I like girls that don't don't care if they get dirty or like, you know what I'm right. saying? They're, they're like, oh, gross or whatever. If a bug or whatever. Like Curry kills spiders in our house. Wow. Like I'm terrified of spiders. She goes and kills them. Wow. She's my hero. There you go. You don't do that. You'll I kill have- it if I'm not home. But yesterday she looks, she literally goes, John, there's a bug. Kill it. Well, she didn't even identify it. Wow. By the way, it was a it was lightning a lightning bug. <laughs> By the way, it's as big as my head. Get in there. <laughs> yes. I mean, I'll kill. It was kill, our dog. <laughs> I'll kill them if take, I have to. Take the I, poker from the fireplace. <laughs> You're going to need it. I kind of feel like that's his domain. Although the electric fly swatter thing outside, I'm kind of vicious with that and the carpenter bees. But let's talk about that domain. Okay, because that gets into a well, little you, bit of what you, we want to talk well, about. Yeah, but you need to hear this, though. What now? You need to hear what she did in the carpet. No, bee. I'm not going to tell that. That's terrible. No. Did you destroy a carpet? Listen, bee? this I is confession. To. You hurt an, a, a, She one may of God's or may not have waterboarded and electrocuted on purpose a, a carpenter bee t- oh my torturing gosh. it. No, I did not torture it. I flushed it out of its hole with water right. and then used the electric fly swatter on it. Because water and electricity go really well together. It's yeah. a battery. Did it tell you what you needed to know? Did it, <laughs> did it finally come out with it? <laughs> Here's the problem. <laughs> we made a hole. Listen, Where's your so, queen? <laughs> listen, I am so against. Like, if we had a hive of honeybees, I would call somebody to remove them. Them safely because I know they're pollinators and I know Wait we a need bees. You're oh, getting no. into the science of it all. Listen, no, seriously. We shouldn't kill bees, especially honeybees, because they're pollinators. And without pollinators, then we start to lose fruits and vegetables and like mm-hmm. all the crops in the world. The pollinator. It's, it's, a, yeah. it's a very doomsday scenario without yeah. our bees and pollinators. Well, but you really bees. think if you kill one bee, you're going to set in motion the doomsday scenario? <laughs> no. I'm just saying. It could be the one. With it's the honey- butter. It's literally really the butterfly effect, <laughs> it's the but bee not effect. with it's the bee effect. But carpenter bees <laughs> are pollinators, but to a much less extent, and they're ruining my deck. Yeah, they, they destroy. And things. so this one, but had your deck to go. ruined their habitat. Yeah, their habitat is not my you deck. You're worried about the bee setting in motion the end of the world, and yet you don't care that we just took all of their habitat yeah. away. No, what I said was if it had <laughs> been a honey bee, yeah, I would have not done that. But honey, you probably just would have stolen a honey and eaten honey it. Honeybees don't destroy my deck. Oh, my gosh. So They just anyway. leave behind their vomit, and it's tasty on toast. <laughs> it's delicious. My favorite thing, though, is when we – you're right, that we move into an area as humans that was populated by all these animals, and then we just set up this whole community there. And my favorite thing we did in, in Mount Juliet is there used to be this – it was just open fields in Mount Juliet forever where yeah. we live. And it's just – it was beautiful. And now we set up these huge condominium complexes, and there's one called Deer Run. It's like, yeah, they run when you bring bulldozers into their house. (laughs) Deer Run. It's like, that's not even got any creativity on it. (laughs) It's like a warning sign. (laughs) You can't come back here. Dang it. Oh man, that's hilarious! Yeah, that is kind of stuff we want to talk about though, because we're talking about the girls and so like the roles, like uh, like presumed roles in a house. Uh, which I think there already are those things, uh, and that's okay. But sometimes I think it, they come under; they're coming under fire. People want to; they, they're being second guessed or whatever. And uh, it's, I'm fascinated by that. Yeah, I am too. Uh, so you know, so my wife, you know, works a forty hour week if oh, minimum job. Works from home, but you know, is a professional, a project manager for a, a major company. She's a nurse. She's by trade. I mean, she's brilliant. And works a lot. So, you know, the way I look at some of 
traditional roles. Now, I happen to also be married to a person who loves cooking, is like a gourmet chef, just naturally. Like, Johnny, we had watermelon the other day. Oh, that's she made watermelon. She made it, bro. From <laughs> that scratch. is unbelievable. I'm no, a miracle. She's like, good. you know, we're all just eating watermelon. And I look over and she has this bowl over here where she grows her own herbs out on the deck. Oh, yeah. Okay. And I go and I take a bite of it, and it's like just a little taste of heaven. She's taken lime juice, salt, and fresh mint and made just like on some cut up pieces of watermelon. It's a watermelon salad. Yeah. Mm. And, and like she just, you know, I, I know that's not a big deal. But that's a big deal to me. Like, I never in my life would have been like, you know what goes good with this? Right. Lime juice. Like, I just, I, but but she has a great palate for those things. Well, and I read cookbooks like they're novels. I love them. She does love cookbooks, especially the ones that are novels. But <laughs> <laughs> but the, but the, the, for us, I always tell her, you know, when she makes a meal that's just unbelievable, I'm just like, you know, this wasn't your job. Like we yeah. both work. This wasn't your job. It's just something you enjoy to do and are a lot better. And she she will always say something like, "Yeah, I actually want to eat good, you know, so yeah. or eat well." I don't know how you would have said it, but but the but the <laughs> idea of of roles in a marriage, I think the reason they're under fire a little bit is because you know, and they 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 should be to some extent. If we're just arbitrarily, in my opinion, ascribing certain roles yeah. to you based off of your gender, unrelated to. I mean, look, there's a role she's going to have in our family that she's going to uh, birth the children. Right. That's physiological. I can't, you know, sorry, or physical. I can't change yeah. that. That's a medical reality, you know. But You it, could it, try, John. I Good could. grief. Right. I, I, Do some work. I, I know. But you know, notwithstanding some major medical procedures, that's right. not going to happen. <laughs> so, sure, sure. So, uh, and we can't afford those. No. So there, there's a – we looked into it. Okay. I'm just kidding. So <laughs> in, in – in, that realm, sure, but for me just to say, hey, I'm the man, you're the woman, here's what we do. But it's funny right. how – and you speak this way, way way better than I can. Like I really enjoy mowing the grass and being outside. Yeah. I did that my whole life. It's not because I'm a dude. I mean lots of women enjoy doing that. I just enjoy doing that. In ours, it almost falls into more traditional roles, but we both seem to enjoy those roles. Yeah, and there's not necessarily an expectation like the 50s wife is like if dinner's not on the table, you're going to – you're gonna oh, catch. I beg her not to put. Yeah, I, I can't make her. Literally, when Laura makes dinner, I can't make her be not the last one to sit down with a plate. Right. She's so service driven. Part of that's being an enneagram too. Part of it, that's my. She's too. so yeah. service driven that I'm like, I'm not going. She did it two nights ago. I'm not going to eat until you sit down. Yeah. Like, well, it's like, and the other thing is like that we're seeing in this generation and the generation before us is guys being way more verbal. You see a lot more of that, whereas women used to be the more verbal. Kind of considered the emotional one. Yeah, and so you see guys sure. more in touch with their emotions, and those yeah. are called, like, then you see, like, the backlash against that. Like, we talked about that before, about how I'll do these men's conferences, and they're like, we're going to act like men! And they'll have this big promotion with people firing guns into the air, and we're going to have explosions, and you're going to learn how to change a car on a NASCAR, or change a tire on a NASCAR, and... They have all these weird things that, like, only men would want to do and all this stuff. And I'm just like, I'm not really in any of that. You know, like, I want a good speaker, and that's fine. But like, when you talk about, like, what is biblical manhood, truly, honestly, to me, biblical manhood is service. And um, this idea that, like, we're going to de-wussify. We've wussified this whole culture by – and, like, my dad didn't even talk to us. We were scared <laughs> of him. And I was like, your dad was a jerk. <laughs> like, yeah. that's not – so the, the roles are kind of – Becoming a little bit more, uh, in, you know, less deeply entrenched, and so I think I think that's positive in a lot of ways. So I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's positive. I think that in the male female gender stereotype thing, you get into a lot of different segments of life. You get into what does that look like in a marriage. You get into what does that look like in you know, the secular workplace, yeah. we get into what does that look like in the church. And then, so there's a lot of different variables there. For me in our household, there are things that we kind of just naturally fall into because it's our rhythm. Mm -hmm. I think more than any kind of gender assigned role. Um, I think for women overall, I would say that it is harder um, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe it's just me, to kind of turn off that sort of striving, being shiny, you know, being anything, 
not just being okay with whatever it is we are. Yeah. Like not having to kind of come up with all these other things. I saw a quote this morning from Virginia Woolf about, you know, just being okay with who we are as women. It's okay to just be exactly who we are without having to sparkle and without having to shine. Um, I do think that that's kind of difficult. And I think that because in general in society, because it's expensive, it generally takes a household of two working parents to kind of make ends meet in most cases. I know a lot of people sacrifice a lot of kind of what we consider common creature comforts to have um, more of that traditional fifties, the woman staying home with the kids kind of role. Um, And as we've given that up, we have certainly given up. um, We've given up other things along the way. So the backlash of that almost is that, we should be capable and able to do it all to work the 40 hour a week job to still go to the gym and have the body we had before we had the children to get the homemade home cooked meals on the table to do all of those things. One of our former students who's a mom now posted a sweet little picture of her kiddo the other day. And she had to make the disclaimer at the end of it though. Um, I'm going to ward off the inevitable mom shaming right now and let you know that the things you couldn't see in this picture is that we were totally safe. You know, we weren't going fast, all this other stuff. And I'm like, why do we even have to qualify that stuff? So we've given up kind of the stay at home role in a lot of cases, but I think in we've traded it for this unrealistic expectation of doing it all and having it all, which is just simply not possible. Something has to give. And the mom shaming a lot of times comes from other moms. Absolutely. It does. And, and I've noticed this too. Like I have, there's women in my life who have chosen to do the stay at home thing in a more traditional role. Absolutely. And sometimes there's shame on them because it's like, you're going backwards to do that. Even though that's their choice. It's like, it's like, man, this is the best. This is not good. We're we're making each other feel bad for for something that we desire or something that we really want. It's just I don't know. I think that's backwards too. It. it I think if and, and honey, we'll go as as shallow or deep as you'd want to go here. But lots of our conversations in our home, as each one of us both continue to, I think that we've never been in a place in our marriage and as individuals that we've been more um, exploratory in who we are as people individually, dealing with our issues, <clears throat> trying to, to discover some things about ourselves so that we can grow in yeah. our relationship with God and with other people and community. And along that lines, we both, I think the comparison um, to, to people who you consider to be like you or in, in like places seems to be pretty universal across the board that I'm going to compare myself to another pastor of yeah. my age or to another writer or it's going to be a thing. Am I am I up to, to speed? But that weight seems so small to me compared to the one that I see my wife carry because hers really is a comparison to – because it's almost like to her value, her value more than mine. So, yes, if I don't have a job not providing, yeah. there's a traditional value wrapped up in that that I'm going to struggle with as a man – but it seems like as long as I'm working hard, though, no one's going to question whether or not I have that, you know. Yeah. Because um, we know no one's going to say you don't make enough money. I mean, you're just, that, that's not going to be in ministry. Mm-hmm. Usually, the indictment you're going to get. Sure. Um, in in my case, you know, which by the way, you know, you don't make a lot of money in ministry. So I have a wife who does tell that to Jesse Duplantis. But hey, now oh, we'll get to that later. Um, yeah, <laughs> you need that fourth fifty million dollar jet. Oh. But anywho, the. When I see what she's feeling, these feelings of motherhood and and wifedom and the the shame, of, in a, you know, I think every woman and man I know has some sort of body image issue, and and really trying to define where those things are coming from. And she, I think she said that well. There is at some point in time you are comparing yourself. The shaming, whether it's actually coming or not, there's a a, a felt sense that. I am not as good as someone else who is my counterpart or my equal in this situation. Yeah. Um, and, and what we've, I think, failed to realize then, and, and so all the time, I will compliment her. And, and she does the same thing to me. This is not just this. In fact, I may be worse in many of these areas. 
she will compliment me. It could be anything from appearance to effort to all of those things. And I take it upon myself. Some of this is a, a fishing for more. And some of this is I'm realizing legitimate. I take myself down a peg and yeah. reject her compliment. Like, oh, yeah, well, yeah, but I need to lose 10 more pounds. Oh, yeah, well. Yeah. Or you have to say that. You're married to right. me. Right, yeah. yeah. And, 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 and how many times have we said that? Well, you know what I know. And I really appreciate that you love me that well. But, uh, you know, coming to that place where, you know, she said the other day, and, and we can cut this out if you didn't like it. <laughs> but, you know, she said the other day, it's not what you think about me that I'm really worried about. It's what other women would think about me. Right. That, that's what I'm – that's the voice I'm really hearing the accusation yeah. from. Was that accurate for me to say it? Put yeah, it in your no, words Yeah, no, I better. mean I think that that's true. I think, um, I think that comparison is inevitable. I think for – Women and I can only speak for myself and, you know, in having pretty deep involved conversations with friends, um, women's roles are so varied now where they didn't used to be. They, there was sort of one expectation Mm -hmm. kind of pre 1970s for women and, and only one expectation to stay at home and to raise kids. Um, as we've, kind of moved out of that as sort of the standard we have created all these other standards and so the comparison is then how am I how am I compared to the mom who is staying at home yeah. and how am I compared to the other working moms right. and so instead of it being one line of comparison yeah. it's like a map of that it's an overall, how much worse it's hard to remember what the comparison problem was like for us before social, social media. media. Absolutely. Like I really cannot remember the stress level in my head about whether 18 of my friends had abs and I don't like, that's the other thing about the blurring of those lines and the weird, the gender roles uh, starting to, to kind of uh, cross over. It's like guys have huge uh, appearance issues now, right in our generation now too. So we see guys who work out all the time and, and you, you see their Instagram and you're like, what in the world? What's this guy on? What's he doing? Mm-hmm. Does he live at the gym, you know? And it kind of magnifies your own, you know, and I know comparison's the thief of joy. We always, we know that, but it's just so hard to shut that off when you're inundated every day with somebody's highlight reel, yeah. which is what social media really is. Well, yeah, it's their best. Yeah. And in the moment you can compare somebody's absolute best to your worst and it can be detrimental. You know, we're obviously not intended to know that much about people. Yeah. Even in our closest friendship circles prior to social media, you wouldn't know everything. You wouldn't see everything. So I think there's some. Um, is weird. To me, it's like Thanksgiving dinner every day. Yeah. So you like that uncle that you might see once a year that would say you're going to hell for that earring. He's in your life every day now saying that Obama's from Kenya. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like he's there <laughs> in your face every day, you know, with a, a, a Trump video or an anti-Trump video. And you know everything about him. You know too much. We know way too much about everybody. Right. Well, and I think, you know, I'm going to pick up the um, – the book Boundaries, which is kind of a, a yeah standard. Henry Cloud yeah Henry Cloud, um, they have a it's a they have a new revised edition yeah. since the one that I have, and it has like at least one maybe two chapters yeah. on social media, huh. um, and kind of reinventing those boundaries for the modern age and how we handle them in social media. Um, I think those are probably pretty important, and quite frankly, well, again. I think that social media has even caused problems in our church pews because we now know everything. We know everything and nothing about the people we go to church with. We know their political leanings. We know their stance on this. We know their, you know, proclivities for this, that, and the other. And what we really want in church generally is a very homogenous. I want everybody to look like me. So, this thing of creating community and and lanes of vulnerability and things I think are tougher in a social media age because we know too much. And what we truly want, I think, for the most part, are people who look and think exactly like us if we're going to go to church with them. And I think that is so dangerous. And I think that's why we're seeing people leave the church in massive numbers. Well, I think you're exactly right. And for me, I've sensed this week more than ever the challenge 
of the varying demographics of people we're trying to reach, which social media is is proving. You're trying to reach a post-Christian generation yeah. uh, who may not necessarily be un-Christian, but may not have the confidence in the inerrancy of Scripture and other things. And you're also trying, or even to, biblical literacy, right? Right. You know, basic biblical literacy. There's yeah. a thing I said before. There's a basic faith in cynicism um, among many people that I don't even know what the argument is. I just trust that there are really smart people who know it, who are smarter than you because they talk louder and they sound smarter, and this is what the people who I care about believe. I don't really know what it is. Mm -hmm. I just know the people that that I trust or the people that I look up to seem to believe something different than you. So now my – it's like it's so far removed from an actual belief system. It's a belief system by confidence. It's almost like the dollar. It's just confidence. I just have confidence in this. Yeah. I'm not even sure what it is if I can put my finger on it. And you're trying to reach those people in a body of, of – in a community. At the same time, you're trying to reach like churched – and if you're using um, you know, like Todd Wagner's terms, you would say you're trying to reach people who are institutionalized, who are yeah. dead churched or de-churched or unchurched. Or, or who think that the church is synonymous with – White Republicans. Let's right. Yeah, or, it's honest. a political right. viewpoint for them to be in a yeah. church. And it, I call it Snow Globe. I went to Branson, Missouri one time to do a comedy show. And I'd heard about Branson and what it was. And I was so fascinated by it because we pulled in. Now, it's not in its heyday anymore like it was in the 90s where there was just country theater after country theater of every ex-country star that wanted to retire right. and have his fans come to him. Who couldn't make it in Gatlinburg. But it was, we went to a few shows and then I did my show and everyone was like this snow globe preservation of like 1980s Ronald Reagan America. Yep. Like everybody gave it up for the troops and everybody had their hymn that they sang in the thing and they had their number that was a patriotic number. It was so pandery and creepy to me. And it was like they're trying to preserve this block of there was like the main street diner and the this and and you just go they're trying to hold on to what they thought america was and hang on to it and and again that's kind of the root of conservatism is we're trying to conserve things but and take them back and i would say there's 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 things worth conserving there's things that are ugly in our past that we should never go back to that's the whole thing about make america great again there was a comedian that did a a, an interview outside some um, one of those rallies and he said, when was America great? He'd go to anybody wearing one of those hats. When was America great? They're like, the 50s. And he'd be like, okay, cool. So when we had separate drinking fountains and we had right. – he just named everything that was horrible in that era that they would – in their head, this is when America was great. So all that said, we we do. We have, a, we have this thing that we preserve in our head that the church should look like. Many times it's what we grew up with or we're running headlong from that because we're like, whatever that was, I'm out of that. And I want a church that looks completely different. So there's all these expectations people come with, you know. Well, and I think <clears throat> I think a polaristic viewpoint is is the society's way, and it's not just a millennial or a social media viewpoint. I think that you're proving that we all have some tunnel vision yeah. of of. In, in, it's hindsight is not twenty twenty. That's a total myth. Right. Hindsight. I used to say this all the time. We go on a trip with kids, and it'd be some disastrous series of unfortunate events. That everyone knows it was. And you go, you blow a tire in the middle of Florida. You're on the side of the interstate. You you know you're burning up. You know you're some kids thrown up out of the window. You have all these <laughs> things, and we would talk as leaders. You were all with me then. Yeah. What I would say, and I believed it because I realized it after a while. If we turn this into a memory, if we have fun and keep our heads up, yeah. these kids will call this the best thing that ever happened right. to them, and they did. When they walk up now, they'll be like, you remember that time? And it was never what you had planned. The raccoon was on the yes. Right. God's honest truth, and the, the listeners got to hear this story. Oh, I forgot about the raccoon. We yeah. were driving home from camp. It was just across town in Nashville, you know, about a 35-minute drive. Been there all week. I'd parked the bus. I was driving the bus. We had a, a converted school bus and had a, a bus full of kids. And Eli Thomas, who's still with us today, and he was a youth leader back then, I'm pulling off the Mountain Juliet exit, and there's like this exhale when you're a pastor. You're like, almost yeah, right. You you're did like, it. I almost made no it. One no died. one died. I mean, when you're driving the bus, you're praying the whole time. Please, no one hit us. You got everyone's lives in their hands, and you know your whole life could change. 
And so I'm pulling off that big round exit. I'm literally a mile or less from the church and I can, I'm almost home free. And Eli walks up and leans into my ear and he whispers it so calmly. He goes, John, there is a raccoon <laughs> sleeping under the back seat of the bus. And he just woke up. I said it just <laughs> like that. And I was like, Eli, are you serious? And he was like, I am. I couldn't be more serious. <laughs> and I said, I mean, I, I, I don't even know. Like, well, this. Is I don't a, know how the raccoon stayed asleep that yeah, long. I think maybe he kids. was just a, listen. I've preached a sermon the next week called "God Shut the Mouth of the Raccoon" <laughs> mm, it's because you know they're rabid animals. There's no. no I'm not, I don't. We don't know if he rabid. was like, rabid. literally rabid. I'm saying though, vicious. You're animals. judging them just like yeah. Lord judge those bees. <laughs> Good grief. That's why we got to hold it underwater for at least five minutes. This episode not brought to you by PETA. That's right. right. Does PETA care about the bees? I don't know. Uh, Yes. But in my mind, that raccoon, if he really got spooked, I have a bunch of middle school girls back there. And so I just see him just start thrashing. Right. So I had had the leaders move the kids. The raccoon's going to go all honey badger. Yeah, it's good. You never know. (laughs) Well done. Well done, driver. And so I want to move them all away we got there, and the, and the raccoon just sat still. Yeah. And I guess he had gotten – so I started thinking of all the, the perspectives of the raccoon. Like He's he got terrified. on our bus when he was – so we just literally transplanted him to a whole other world because yeah. he <laughs> lived in Gulletsville. Now he lives in Mount Juliet. And, you know, we waited, and and somebody came and got him you off the bus. You should write a children's book about the about raccoon. About him, the invention. big move. Stowaway raccoon. Yeah. And the big move. Yep. Guys, it's going to happen. <laughs> the go. bus bandit. I want credit, though, Bus at bandit. least a little bit. Honey, what do you not get credit? My whole life I owe to you. I mean, oh. Jesus and then through you. So Wow, this, this is, is really... Talk of, speaking of pandering. Yeah, exactly. Somebody went too far. We need to bring some misogyny back to even this out now. <laughs> no, no, we do not. We by have the way, dealt with by the thousands way. of years of patriarchy at this point. By the way, I actually really believe that statement, Speaking by the way, of like, misogyny, okay, okay, uh, a female... Uh, it's a masseuse. A misogynist should be a guy that gives massages. <laughs> That's a misogynist. You got a masseuse and a misogynist. Yeah, I, I don't understand. Some wordplay Unfortunately, joke like that that's not what no, that means. No, it's not. Although like I would that. say some guys who give massages might be misogynist. <laughs> what <laughs> if you're a misogynist? He's a masseur and a misogynist. Oh my goodness! Is it he sounds a like a Lifetime movie: the masseur and the misogynist. It does. <laughs> Sounds a and little, it, would, it would star like uh, a the, creepy. what was the it would star like Fran Drescher or Valerie Bertinelli. <laughs> they meet up and he's like a huge anti woman, but by the end he Candace comes Cameron around. Bray. Yeah, <laughs> by the end he comes around. He's a feminist. I don't know. There you go. I'm trying to I'm trying to remember. I had a wordplay joke or something like that that you hated, Johnny. I do, and John, it's fine. It was something. I don't know what it was. We've already inundated our listeners with too many. It has. Too so many puns I love today. word plays. I really do. Anyway, I can't find it now. Yeah, I'm but, sure it was brilliant. Um, anyway. Well, all that said, the raccoon. Yeah, you're right, though. There's stories. You look back and you remember the good things. You right. remember the flat tire being the thing where we all got together and we changed the flat tire. You don't remember it being like a thing that ruined the trip necessarily. Yep. Um, I don't know. And And I think that. That very reason is the reason people have tunnel vision about something in their life, and it probably had to do for in a moment that they either felt secure or yeah. they felt prosperous. They, you know, because there, but those are tied in a moment where things were good, and you're not, you know. And again, it, it is kind of baiting somebody. Look, and let's be really clear. Yes, we can point out things that were happening to people in the fifties yeah. that wasn't good doesn't mean that you can't have fond memories of the 50s or that there weren't a lot of good things that we should return to. They don't have to. That's my point. They don't have to all be together. Right. We should have the wherewithal in our lives. Right. That's that's what the gospel actually does. I should have the wherewithal in my life to say, I have a great marriage. Oh, and at 40, I'm discovering things that about me that don't make me the best husband. So I should not have to go, well, oh, our marriage Throw is the marriage all away. a sham. Yeah, sure. right. I should be able to say, listen, I need to grow here. Mm-hmm. And that, and, and identifying those key places in all of our life. And if people were going to be – because that's really what transformation is. People act like it's a total overhaul. I have to throw everything away. Look, when you came to know Christ, that was the overhaul. That was when you became alive. You go yeah. from death to life. When you come to know Christ, you're alive now. So the things he continues to work in your life – you know, after that, he's not taking you back and, and yeah. having to make you alive. He's making you more alive in more places. Yeah, my Methodist friends talk about sanctification, you know, and sometimes I'm kind of learning more about, you know, 
Somebody put a thing, uh, it was like a meme the other day, and it said a perfect illustration of sanctification, and it was a video loop of a guy falling down an up escalator. Right. Yeah. I was like, that's kind of us, you know. We're we're going up, but under our own strength, we're just falling every day, but we're still being carried by something that's not under our control. That's exactly right. Upward. I I think part of transformation, too, is is the realization that, um, like the whole, you know, comparison to the 50s or the 60s or any generation, it, transformation for me really looks like being able to take off my l- own lens of things as much as possible yeah. and being able to step in and have a perspective of someone else. Um, one of the people that I really um, like, Beth McCord, talks a lot in the Enneagram, you know, the perspective of putting on other people's lenses mm-hmm. that basically you might see the world through blue sunglasses and I might see it through pink sunglasses and you might see it through green sunglasses. And if we could understand that people have different lenses and different perspectives and my willingness to go, Oh, let me try to understand the world through your green sunglasses so that I can really understand what it looks like to you. To yeah. me, that would completely transform the way we act and think. And for me, I guess the biggest crux of all of these issues, whether it's misogyny or, you know, racial issues or anything, for me, where I'm at right now, it comes back wholly, all of them wrapped up into the idea of us being created in the image of God, that that thought of the Amago day that we are image bearers of God mm-hmm. and not just that we are, but that every person that we share this planet with, whether regardless of their race, their religion, their ethnicity, their gender, they are image bearers. And if they are image bearers, then that thought should inform Every other part of my life, it should inform my politics. It should inform my religion. It covers everything from the racial issues to immigration to abortion issues. If I truly believe that each individual is an image bearer of a holy God, then it will inform everything about the way I live my life. And I think in that is where you find true transformation. No, it's so true. You know, Sadie, I didn't tell you this, asked me the other night, and, and we've talked about this a little bit on the podcast before. She had some comment uh, about, well, do do only people who are Christians, you know, do good things, basically, like mm-hmm. would, would someone who's not a Christian, you know, and she's she's very young, I said, no, honey, people who are not Christians do a lot of great things. And and getting away from that idea that this makes us um, somehow morally superior. You right. know? And I said, and, and I'm, uh, there's a scripture that says that God has planted in the planted eternity in the hearts of man. You know, it's a great scripture. Uh, it's in the Old Testament. Uh, this, this, and, and when you were saying that, there's such a hope to the gospel to realize because of the image of God that – and Paul talks about this a lot in Romans that, look, you know, even without the truth yeah. that being explicitly spoken to you, that because of creation or because of the nature of things, because of morality, yeah. that men and women have – they have a source of truth already within yeah, it them says and that around you're, them. You're clawing through the darkness to find it. You're searching you know, that he created us to search and find. Right. And, but you know yeah. there's something to be searched right. for. It's almost as if like – like God put this homing beacon mm-hmm. inside of all people that will constantly be drawing you back to him, right. knowing that man took the world into a sinful state, but that yeah. he said, no, I'm going to plant this bug. <laughs> you know, if you're a spy, I'm going to plant something and it's going to always let me find you and it's going to let you find me. I'm going to know where you are and that you're going to be drawn back to it. So in now the fullness of that, we believe comes in Christ, but that, that idea that, that it, if it sounds, we got to call things like the R. That's why we call it. Talk about that. It sounds so like um, liberal and humanistic to be like within all people there is this beauty that we should embrace. And people, I think, if that's your if that's your first gut sort of response to that, then I I would um, someone 
I forget who it was, uh, told me yesterday that they had, it was, it was Pastor Andrew. He said, you know, I listened to this sermon, or I read this book. He said, and I told someone else, like, look, when this book accuses you or this book shows you something, mm-hmm. accept it. Like, you're going to find all the reasons to make excuses for it because it makes you uncomfortable. Right. If, if what it's saying about you is true, then let it be true. And, and, and accept it. And even if it hurts, like take, go down that road. And so if the, your first reaction to us talking about the value of people, though we know we have physical enemies and national enemies and all those things, you have people that aren't like you, who may be against you, who may want to destroy you. But that when Jesus came, the reason he came not to condemn the world was because he'd already planted his value in them as his children in creation. It doesn't, we're not speaking of their eternal destination. We're not speaking of their actions, always reflecting the eternity that's been planted in their hearts. We're speaking of the epicenter, the seed of hope planted in the hearts of man that, that God planted at creation. And the Bible says that Christ was the, the plan for him to come as the, this rescuer, was from the foundation of the world. This is not happening by chance. This was the plan. There's going to be a seed that that only God knew would be redeemed and would bear fruit in the hearts of man when he came to finish the plan. And so like, but if, but so many of us in today, we've forgotten the first part of the plan. If you're not already on the redeemed side of that plan in our minds, then it's so easy to discount you, especially when we're in danger from you or hurt by you. you we dehumanize you. You no longer look like uh, you know, a person, I will say one more thing and I'll be quiet about this. We were watching Madam Secretary last night and the storyline was the president's daughter had been caught up in some pretty scandalous photos that, and it was a secret service agent who was mad, yeah. who had been fired, who brought the photos and was going to sell them. Or the daughter was like 21, insisted they caught the guy. He was going to, you know, go to jail for a little bit and pay a fine or whatever. And she wanted to talk to him. And the parents are watching through a window. So she was safe. And the guy's really uncomfortable. He's like, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't think about what this was going to do to you. And she starts asking him, well, I mean, do you have children? Well, yeah, I have a son. And he goes, I don't know what it is you want me to say. And she says, I just wanted to know more about your life so that because you've really hurt me and embarrassed me. But so I wouldn't be tempted to sum you up by your worst choice that you ever made right. by yeah. one action. Right. And then she looked at him because she had done bad actions that gave the photos away. And she says, do you see how that works? And his eyes got real big. And I thought, what a brilliant turn that the person who was hurt yeah. had to be the one to realize that even the person who hurt her can't necessarily or shouldn't be necessarily be summed up by their one bad action, but that there may be value in them that is more intrinsic or is greater than just the sum of their worst fault or even all their faults or their viewpoints. Brene Brown, you know, in her most recent book, Braving the Wilderness, one of um, kind of the the tenets or takeaways from that book is that people are hard to hate close up, move in. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, when we're talking about this idea that literally our first response, and I'm talking about my first response, not for anybody else, my first response as a Christ follower, is to look through the lens of everyone is created in the image of God first and then move from there. That doesn't mean what we have responsibility to do as a nation or any of those things. What we as individuals have responsibility to do as Christians, there are a lot of other things it mushroom clouds from there, obviously, with, with political things and responses and and all of that. But what I should do as a Christian first, and yes, I agree with you, if that makes you uncomfortable because your mind immediately goes to, well, our responsibility is the government and all those things, we need to reprioritize. What is your responsibility first as a Christian, then move out from there? Right. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the social media thing, too. It's like we we have this exploded view of somebody like from a thousand feet. And it's easier to hate or judge that person yeah. based on – but if you – we don't know the real person. We we know it's not real because we know what we post. Right. And we know that it's our highlight reel. Yeah. And so – but it's weird that when we look at somebody else's, we think, well, this is who this person really is. Right. This dumb thing they post here, this dumb thing that they believe, uh, I can sum them up. That's – in comedy, I have to work against that because comedy is about boiling things down to the the root, right? And looking at it from different perspectives and finding the thing that someone else might not see. 
But it's basically a boiling down. The, you want to say the funny thing in the least amount of words so you can get to the next joke. And so I find myself, since I've been doing this job for 11 years now, that I have a tendency to boil people down if I'm not yeah. careful. And that's that doesn't work. Like people aren't meant to be boiled down to their essence like they're complicated. Right. It's always complicated. I'm more worried these days about boiling myself down yeah. to the essence of what I should be doing. And honestly, I have found in the last little bit, and maybe I'm just getting to the place where you're more comfortable in your own skin or whatever as we kind of hit truly middle age. Um, you know, I'm really less concerned with boiling everybody else down and getting down to the essence of what I yeah. need to do. Figure me out and then I figure – other things will kind of fall into place. Well, and that's the, you know, I used your thing, you know, the other day of someone asked me to speak a message about sin, you know, and I was like, you know, well, you hate the sin, love the sinner, but that usually means someone else's sin. The idea of beginning with yourself is, is such a, and I would say it like this in an encouraging way. There are aspects to the real message of Christ. They all deal with this. That's, I mean, Jesus is, most basic messages were about, hey, the log and the splinter, you need to let me do this and you you need to acknowledge a need for a savior. Mm-hmm. When you who have no sin cast the first stone. Like it was always a point point inward first. Let yeah. Jesus do in you first and and that's the most important part. If you will think of that in a in a grand scheme and, and this happened to me in the last week, that that means I got to deal with my issues, my things I'm not telling other people, my unspoken uh, anger, unspoken insecurity, yeah. whatever they may be. I need to take a chance and see if what I believe is real. Like I thought, you know, at my point in life, you keep thinking, well, I've, I've, I've sold out to this whole thing. But I keep finding layers that the, the deeper I go to go, you know what, I've not revealed that. I didn't yeah. know. I didn't know I hadn't revealed it necessarily, but community in my life, in one, the most recent case, my wife, you haven't actually said this. Yeah, you know, to to in this situation, and and it was a real moment of, do I really believe this? And I have taken some chances lately on some crazy things. I'm going to say this. I'm going to do it in the right heart. And you know, while I found greater confidence that the gospel held, the world didn't implode. I'm actually growing because of it. My relationships are more fruitful and, and deeper, but it wasn't going to be because I kept throwing stones at at, at the situation from right. a distance. I was going to have to come in and bear what's going on in me and, and, and know that there's possible consequences. And yes, people in your life, they have to, that, that's why it's important to find that right community. And we're going to talk about that. We talked about that a little bit on Sunday about living authentically. That if you don't all agree to have the same kind of foundation, then your house is really unstable. Yeah. No matter how good the house is, it, a strong storm can move it. So it's important that we all say, no, I I may not be there yet, but I'm committing to the same level. We're going to have this level of honesty. We're going to do this, and we're going to do it because we believe we believe the same. It's a belief system. We mm-hmm. trust that God's ways aren't a burden or a weight to us, that they're good for us. They're better than the way I can come with my own. So I want to try this. And then God invites you to do that. I'm going to try a life of honesty, but it will lead you back. Like you're saying, honey, to that. I've got, I got to deal with me first. And when I do that, I'm, you know, it's, I have no time right now for a lot of judgmentalism. I find that the things I was so staunch about and, and, and so strong about against other people, even within a year, six months, two years ago, that now I find myself going, wow, I'm hearing them. I may still, sh- I may still have the identical political belief when it comes to the voting box or whatever, right. but I don't have the same vitriol towards the human that I once had to yeah. realize that Jesus was dealing with everybody, including his own disciples right. who had differing beliefs. They were all wrong. Mm-hmm. And yet the love that he showed towards them, we go, well, yeah, that was Jesus. Well, yeah. And you're Jesus. You're his body today. He wants you to mimic and mirror him in that, uh, as his people. So dude, that's a great discussion guys. And, uh, we're, man, what a great 25th episode. Oh, gosh. You know, you know what made it Johnny? It was the guest. Do you think so? It was the guest. I'm going to get you something nice, but I'm going to put it in saran wrap. <laughs> wrap it up. Like you have to figure out what it is. Foil, since it's the silver anniversary, <laughs> <laughs> at least it'd be the right color. 
No, we, we really enjoyed it. And I hope we get to have you on more here throughout the summer and, uh, and as much as we can work schedules out. And we'll have other guests as well as we move forward. But, guys, I want to just say thank you. It's been a fun uh, journey. We talk about it all the time, what a blessing it is to us uh, to get to just share some life and have some fun and talk about real things. Uh, if you're out there listening, I would encourage you, if the last 25 episodes and anything is, has helped you, we'd really mean a lot to us if you would just go get one friend to listen. If you'll get one friend that you each think, one would reach one. Oh my John. goodness! And if each one of you would give a dollar, mm. my goodness, we can get that jet. That jet is coming for us. No, don't get me but started on the jet. We'll have it, to go another hour. That'll be another episode of the jet. <laughs> but, but for real, share it. I do want to read one email, Johnny, because uh, we asked our listeners last week uh, to please uh, let us know how they felt oh. uh, about whether we should go to a thirty-minute format. And uh, we had Natalie from Indiana who sent us an email. Natalie, this is going out to you. It says, I've been listening to your podcast from the start. I want to give my praise. I love the podcast and I'm always entertained by you and Johnny. I like the current hour long length mm. and would hate to see it cut down. I feel like I'm sitting in that nursery with you guys. Your friend in Indiana, Natalie. Natalie, thank you so much for that. Can I just Natalie, say, Natalie? There's no room in this nursery. We're packed in like <laughs> Can sardines. I just say, Natalie? Uh, I appreciate it, but that email was a little wordy. <laughs> I want to see you cut that down, get to the heart of it. Be more succinct. <laughs> you good? I told Natalie, I said, we've actually graduated to uh, the uh, nursing mother's room, the vacant mm-hmm. nursing mother's room. The vacant Is it because we here. don't have nursing mothers? Uh, no, we do. Just somehow this room. We forced them outside on the playground now do nursing. Anything. I just somehow along the lines, it's a smaller room and. It was just—it's really quiet. It's actually just the best soundproof room. In the We've building. got like a row, like a line of lactating women outside waiting, <laughs> just dying to get in to here. get in here. It's and gross. We are, yes, and we're shooting our podcast. And, and now I just put that mental image in all the listeners' yeah. heads, and that's nice. great. <laughs> You're welcome. Well, guys, we do appreciate you listening. Share it, subscribe, get a friend to listen. That's a sincere request from you, and uh, we will be back next week. It's not uh, a sincere request from them. A sincere request from you. Did I say them. from them? Yeah, you said guys, from you. John. Guys, the English language. This is why. <laughs> we'll try to get the wheeze to go away, but we'll be back next week uh, on Talk About That. Hi, I'm Zach. And I'm Randy. And we're from Salty Saints Podcast. We're a theology and apologetics podcast. We hope to better equip you to be salt and light for your community. Uh, We hope that we can help you to go out and be a reflection of Jesus Christ to those around you, uh, to your friends and your family, and especially to those that do not know Christ. To find out more, subscribe at lifeaudio.com.